Good morning, everyone. As most of you know, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit, and today we come to peace after love and joy. Um, Yesterday, my friend Zachary Seymour exhorted me not to preach too long. Um, It was almost as if he was Moses and I was Pharaoh, and he was saying, let my people go. But I said, shouldn't, shouldn't I be like God's love and I will never let you go? <laughs> but um, you may have noticed these directional signs in here. <clears throat> he thought I was misapplying scripture when I said that as far as the east is from the west, so long you will have to wait for the barbecue. <laughs> I, I, I won't keep you too long. Our our text today is from Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, please open to chapter 4. And the verses are verse 4 through 8. This is God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is God's word. I'm going to be focusing particularly upon verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything Um, And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Following Cole Brown's lead, I want to tell you something about myself. Mainly, I want you all to understand that I am not saying anything here today as if I had attained it. Or as if I'm a model to you in any of these things. I'm preaching to myself as much as to anyone else. And if I'm a model of anything, it's that of a broken man who desperately needs forgiveness and healing from Jesus Christ. But though I am unworthy to stand here, God has given me a love for you. And so I want to impart God's peace to you from his word that you might know it more fully and more experience his blessing. And I'm also aware that some of you have been praying for me this past week, and I can tell you that I am deeply grateful for that, and it is effectual. So may God have mercy on me, and may he grant us all humility, hope, and help today from his word. The scripture speaks of those who are desperate, It says that they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. Please pray with me. 
Our Father in heaven, I am desperate, and we are desperate. And many of us are in deep distress. Please send your word now to heal your people. Give strength to us today and bless us with your peace. Please give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive your word implanted, which is able to save our souls and make us wise. I pray that you would take my tongue and my heart and grant me the grace to speak the peace of Christ to your people today, not by my strength, not by my might or by my power, but by your spirit. Lord, let us all hear what you will speak for you will speak peace to your people. Amen. For those of you who like a three-point outline, it's basically today what, why, and how. What is peace, and incidentally what it isn't, why people cannot find it, and how we as Christians can walk in it and experience it. But I caution you that though those are the three points of the sermon, they are going to be all intertwined with each other. The, the, The sermon will roughly follow those points, but there will be a lot of interplay and overlap between them. So we have been exploring the nature of Jesus Christ as it's being formed in the Christian In Galatians 5.22, the Apostle Paul calls this the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now this spiritual fruit is simply the evidence of the life of the new man being formed in us. Paul's giving us a summary description of what the new man looks like. It's not a list of traits that can be separated from one another. It's not like the list of the gifts of the Spirit, for example, which the Spirit distributes to every believer, one gift to one, another gift to another. The fruit of the Spirit is not like that. Rather, it's like all the facets of a gem, of Christ being formed in us, all to be seen in the life of every Christian. And this is why Paul uses the term fruit in the singular, karpos in the Greek, not the plural. So it's a mistake to say something like, I have the fruit of patience, but not so much the fruit of joy. The fruit of the Spirit isn't like that, it's all together. It's a comprehensive description of what Jesus Christ is like being formed in us. This was clearly seen two weeks ago in Cole Brown's sermon on love. In the classic passage of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's definition of love includes many of what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love endures all things. That's patience. He says, love is patience and kind. Patient and kind, that's kindness. Love rejoices in the truth, joy. Love believes all things, faithfulness. Love does not behave rudely and is not provoked. Gentleness. So the fruit of the Spirit, it's important to understand that it's not fractured, just as the character of Christ cannot be divided. 
And indeed, that is exactly what the fruit of the Spirit is, the character of Christ. Jesus gives us life and life abundantly. He restores us to joyful fellowship with God, which we can only enjoy if we share his nature. So if we've been born again by the Spirit, then if that has happened to you, then you are adopted into his family. You are in Jesus Christ. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You are now able to overcome it and put it to death by the power of his Spirit, which indwells you. You belong to him. His Spirit is working in you to conform you to the image of Jesus, your older brother. In other words, having been adopted into his family, you are being made to share in all the family traits of the blessed Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. So the Spirit is doing this work in you by all the means of grace which he provides the word of God, prayer, fellowship with the saints, all the providentially ordained circumstances of your life. And as Severin preached to us last week, through suffering and by the Spirit's own prayers of intercession for you according to God's will with groanings too deep for words. So you see that for the Christian to bear the fruit of the Spirit is nothing other than this work of the Spirit in you being shown forth, being displayed. Now Paul uses this metaphor of fruit. What is significant about that? Fruit, by definition, can only be produced by virtue of what the growing thing is. As Jesus himself tells us, every healthy tree bears good fruit, The diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. If you are not a Christian, you cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's not that you may not. You cannot. It's impossible. Now, you may be able to fake it to a point, but if you don't belong to Jesus and do not have his Spirit then you can't bear the fruit of the Spirit simply because it's not your nature. You're not that kind of a tree. So you cannot know this peace of God which passes understanding apart from Christ. So when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit and specifically the peace of God, the first thing that we must understand is that it's utterly unattainable apart from the gift of Jesus Christ himself to you. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. There's no other way to have it except by being united to Jesus Christ, the true vine, and receiving that sweet life which flows from him. So if you have not come to Jesus for forgiveness and deliverance from death, what you are hearing today about peace can be yours if you come to Jesus. But it will never be yours apart from him. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. 
But he also said, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So if you do not know Jesus, and you may be living in a Christian environment, in a Christian home, um, you might look like a Christian, but in your heart you know you don't know him. If you don't know Jesus, I plead with you today to open your heart to the Holy Spirit and ask God to show himself to you and to bring you to himself. So let's talk about what is peace. Paul's use of the term peace as a fruit of the Spirit is drawn from the Old Testament term of blessing, shalom. The Hebrew word shalom is so very rich in meaning. And it points to all the blessedness and beauty of Jesus Christ in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. Shalom in scripture does not mean simply the cessation of warfare, the end of hostilities, though it often begins with that. But the Hebrew lexicon, the definition includes such things as welfare, wholeness, Safety, health, abundance, contentment, tranquility, and friendship. Shalom describes the fulfillment of God's favor as it is pronounced in the priestly blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is what shalom is. The covenant blessings encompassed include freedom from fear. Freedom from fear of attack from enemies. It includes rich and abundant harvests. The fruitful womb. Happiness in the home. Blessed fellowship and friendship. Soundness in body contentment, and rejoicing. But we must remember that shalom in the Old Testament is only a shadow of the peace that Jesus gives. The peace that Jesus gives is a foretaste of heaven itself. It's like being immersed in the blessing of God beyond what we are able to ask or think. It's the taste of things which eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them who love him. And he has made them known to us by his spirit. It's the peace of God which passes understanding. So this is peace. Now what does peace not mean? First, it's important to understand that peace does not mean the absence of war. That's like saying that light is the absence of darkness. That's backwards. That's upside down. It's darkness that's the absence of light. Light is the positive thing. It's like saying that fruitfulness is the absence of barrenness. That's backwards. Fruitfulness is the positive thing, the substantial thing. Barrenness is the absence of fruitfulness. 
In the same way, peace is the positive thing, the substantial thing, the thing which God gives. It's a gift. War, hostility, confusion, fear, those are the absence of peace. Those are the negative things. That's what happens when we have no peace and we're isolated in ourselves and every man is at war with every man. So peace is not the absence of war. We must think about it positively, like shalom. Peace is not a guarantee of earthly prosperity. I think too often the mistake is made of treating the shadow realities of the old covenant as if they were the eternal realities. And doing this has led to harmful errors like, for example, the prosperity gospel. Now concerning the blessings of shalom, Jesus did indeed say that those who leave everything in this life to follow him will receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, but with persecutions. These are indeed great riches, but not as the world understands it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul, who wrote these very words about the fruit of the Spirit, says of himself to the Corinthians, he says, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. Yet he certainly was walking in the peace of God. The peace which Jesus gives us is not as the world gives. It is not of the world. The world cannot give it, and the world cannot take it away. Peace does not mean escape from suffering. It does not mean you will not experience grief and sorrow in your life. On the contrary, our Lord Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He suffered, he wept, and as he was, so are we in this world. A servant is not greater than his master. But the glory is, is that God gives us joy and the peace that passes understanding in the midst of suffering, as Severin expounded to us last week. And this is part of what Paul means when he says that it passes understanding. In other words, to the natural mind, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. How can you have peace when fill in the blank? How can you have peace when your spouse has just left you? How can you have peace when your child has wandered from the faith? How can you have peace when you've just lost your job or whatever? Fill in the blank. I don't know. It's God's gift. It's God's gift. It's not as the world gives you, says Jesus. He gives his peace. Peace does not mean freedom from struggle. Okay? It does not mean that you're always going to experience the peace of God which passes understanding perfectly. And why is that? Because Christians are in a state of war between the flesh and the spirit. If you are a Christian, you have a new nature in Christ, but you still live in the body you inherited from your father Adam and the remnants of sin still remain, 
Paul, in leading up to these verses on the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruits of the Spirit, exhorts us. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And they're opposed to each other. So Christians are in the process of growing in grace. And in this process, there is conflict in which we are learning to practice more consistently putting to death the deeds of the body, more consistently confessing with Paul that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so this is how we must grow in exercising the faith that we've received, believing what God has said, confessing that it is true and acting upon it. Doing this, we become more conformed to the image of Christ. Peter says the same thing. It's not just Paul. Peter says the same thing in his second letter. He says that God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He's using different words to say the same thing, Christ being formed in us. But Peter immediately goes on to say how we actively appropriate what we have in Christ, that we are partakers of the divine nature, we must actively appropriate it. He says that we must make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So we could say that this is actually Peter's version of the fruit of the Spirit, saying in different words the same thing that Paul says in Galatians 5, that we must apply ourselves to manifest the fruit that accords with our new nature in Jesus Christ. Okay, so those are the talks somewhat about what peace is not. Now let's talk more about what peace is. It begins with the cessation of hostilities, but it goes far beyond that. As we saw last week in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were God's enemies, but in that state of alienation and hostility, he loved us and brought us home to himself. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So we have entered in to God's peace through the blood of his cross. He has set us love upon us. But our justification is the door into his banquet hall of blessing, as it were. So not only do we no, no longer live in terror of his judgment, as children of wrath, but like Mephibosheth, we now have a permanent place at his table and we drink deeply of his favor. Our cup runs over and his goodness and his mercy follow us and pursue us. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ and we are the apple of our Father's eye. Concerning Christ's one act of righteousness, which Paul says in Romans 5, is one act of righteousness which would justify the many, the prophet Isaiah speaks of this and says that the effect of righteousness 
will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. This is the peace of God. This is the foretaste of heaven, our shalom, which Christ has purchased for us with his own life. So why cannot people attain it? All people everywhere and in every time desire this kind of peace, but they can't find it. However hard we strive to seize it, it always eludes us. And you know that as human beings, we pursue it through success, companionship, sex, power, reputation, wealth. We medicate ourselves with whatever our drugs of choice are. We seek new experiences, leisure, entertainment, ad infinitum. We desperately seek for this crazy missing part, as Keith Green called it, but it eludes us. Why? We have this sense that something should be there, but it's not. We were created in God's image, and therefore we innately sense our inborn capacity to know something divine, to know something outside of ourselves and greater than ourselves. I felt this very keenly as a teenager. I didn't lack anything materially. My, ca- my parents cared for me. I had friends, and I was successful in school. So what's the matter with you? I was unhappy. Why? I don't know. I don't know why. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? The songs of my youth highlighted this existential angst, if you will. Songs that said things like, Yesterday I saw you kissing tiny flowers, but all that lives is born to die. And so I say to you that nothing really matters, and all you do is stand and cry. And I did. I cried. At one point, knowing nothing, believing nothing, I cried, God, if you're there, help me. That's the best I could do. And amazingly, he did. Two years later, as a freshman at Reed College, in my feeble way, I called upon Jesus to forgive me. And he gave me new life. He saved me. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Hallelujah, he has found me, whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my every longing, and by his blood now I am saved. So let's take a closer look now at verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is setting two things in comparison in these verses. 
anxiety, and the peace of God. And again, it's peace that is the substantial positive thing. Anxiety is the absence of it. Anxiety is born out of fear, and it is opposed to faith. And it is the inescapable state of all of us separated from God. God, our Heavenly Father, is the wellspring of all life and peace. As David says, all my springs of joy are in you. But when our first parents rebelled against him in paradise, they were cut off from the life of God and the perfect peace that they enjoyed in him. In an instant, that peace that they had always known was gone. And anxiety rose up like a devil out of hell and put its death grip around the human heart. Right after their dreadful deed, we see it. Fear and confusion compel Adam and Eve to hide from Father God. Even though plain reason would tell them that trying to hide from your maker is the height of folly. But anxiety is not rational. It's actuated by fear and confusion, not by love or faith. It's a kind of insanity. And this is what we are born into. It's the plight of every person ever since that dread day. We strive to find peace in our own strength and it always eludes us. We're cut off from God and he is the only source of real peace. C.S. Lewis describes this in Mere Christianity. Concerning the fall, he says this, the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And this is what Paul is contrasting with the peace of God this state of anxiety. Look at the differences between the two. Anxiety attacks our hearts and our minds. It besieges us with worry. It wears us down with fretfulness. It harms our health with nervousness. It impels us to flail about, reacting impulsively to adversity rather than calmly trusting God who is our keeper. But whereas anxiety attacks us, the peace of God, says Paul, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It protects us. It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, only in him, the wellspring of life and peace, does this peace flow over us like a river as his gift. 
So how do we experience this? How do we walk in it? How do we appropriate it? In these verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul gives us specific directions on how we can know his peace and walk in it. It's simple, but it's difficult. Paul tells the Christian to be anxious for nothing and shows the way to do this. But notice that everything he says is predicated upon a vital living relationship with God through faith in Jesus. He says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, making our requests known. If we come to God in prayer, we must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. If we bring our supplications to him, we must believe that he is almighty, as his word declares him to be, and that he is willing and able to do exceedingly beyond all that we ask or think. If we give him thanks, it means that we are confessing that he is good and a kind heavenly father as his spirit in our hearts bears witness. If we make our requests known, we believe that his eyes are upon us, his ears are open to our prayers. And so it is, again, that the prophet Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now note that what Paul's saying here isn't a formula. It is, but there's more to it. It's not like you think about it, it's not like we're, we're doing something psychological. Okay, we're, we're changing our attitude to um, pray to God, so we're acknowledging that he is, and to um, give him thanks, so we're, we're saying he's good. And all of these things are true and right, but this is more than a formula. It's not as if you do step one, two, three, and we have to remember that peace is the gift of God. And these are, this is how we're, we're kind of connecting with God. He is the vine, we are the branches. It's, we're connecting with him through these means so that we can receive his gift. It's not as if we're doing it psychologically. It's still his gift to us. So what hinders us from walking in God's peace? Well, as we said earlier, we're, we're conditioned from birth to be anxious to look out for number one. That's a state of man apart from God after the fall. So it's imperative in Christ that we have to change our way of thinking. We have to be renewed in our minds. Paul says, Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. That's what he's talking about here, thinking like this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This can only happen through the word of God. The the word that Paul is using for anxious is the Greek word merimnao, merimnao, which is a compound verb formed from merizo, which means to divide something into parts, and nao, which means to remember. Okay, so merimnao, to be anxious or to worry, has the sense of remembering something, remembering in a divided way, 
In other words, remembering in part and not seeing the whole picture. For example, we remember that we need to earn money to clothe and feed ourselves and our loved ones, but we forget, we fail to remember God's promise that he is our good shepherd, that he is our provider, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that we've never seen the righteous begging bread, and so we worry. This divided remembering is what James, exactly what James means when he talks about the double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. He asks, but then he says, but we know he's divided. He remembers his anxious thoughts, but he forgets God's promises. This is exactly what our Lord is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount using the same word, merimnao, when he says, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Sometimes we Christians even give in to worrying in the midst of serving the Lord. We're engaged in serving the Lord, but we give in to worry in the very activity of doing that. Consider Mary and Martha. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to the Lord and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left all this me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. Again, the same word, merimnao. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So which of these two sisters was enjoying the peace of God? Which one are you? Which one am I? The good portion is to sit at the Lord's feet. This is what we need We need to be in God's word, to read, to study, to memorize, to meditate, so that we can become like that blessed man of Psalm 1, who prospers in all he does, like a tree planted by the river. Now, I have to confess to my shame that I have way too often, as a Christian, surrendered to this tyranny of anxiety which is itself a sin, for it is not a faith, and nearly always leads to more sin. God forgive me. There was one particular incident, um, this was many years ago, but I, I used to always carry around a Gideon's New Testament. I referred to it often, read it often, had it, had it with me on my person. And... And one day, um, I couldn't find it. And I began to become agitated about it. And I began to um, accuse people. Why can't you leave my things where I leave them? Why is everybody all... No. And getting more and more agitated. um, Into, like I said, it's a kind of insanity. Until kind of almost like in in a frenzy my sweet and patient wife said, 
Um, honey, what's that in your front pocket? Uh, as I melt into the floor and consider the power of the parable that has just been on me, the word of God is near you, in your heart, in your mouth. So again, the only way we can be changed and experience this peace is the power, by the power of God's word and his spirit. We have to appropriate the means of grace by building upon the daily discipline of feeding upon God's word and drawing near to him in prayer. Only this way can we learn to cease striving and walk closely with God and so experience that blessing of his shalom, his peace. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is his gift. So have you known this peace? Do you know it? Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that in in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus partook of our flesh and blood so that through his own death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and deliver all of us who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So come to Jesus and be set free. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you are not a Christian, this is his call, his gracious, kind call to you today. Today is the day of salvation. And if you are a Christian, this is still his call to you. This call Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry, if you wait till you're better, you will never come at all. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord, you are the God of peace. You are the God who gives peace which the world cannot give and which the world cannot take away. Our Lord, help us to draw near to you, to walk with you daily, and to learn of you, yoked together with you, learning your ways and walking in your peace. All of our springs of joy are in you, and we know that you will keep us in perfect peace when our minds are stayed on you. Grant us humility, hope, 
and help in all of these things. Give strength to your people, we pray, and bless your people with peace. In Jesus' name, amen.